this Thursday afternoon. Hello, Dan. Hello, Buzz. I am excited. Uh, what are you excited about, Buzz? Well, there are four humans and one non-human in the studio. Oh. I have been doing this show for over a year, and I've never had a non-human in the studio, um, other than me. Uh, there's been no non-human. Wait, you're a non-human? <laughs> so I'm excited because Brian, uh, you know, Brian is about to leave the nest. Today he's going to wing it. Um, My face is scrunched up in pain hearing that buzz. But I don't continue. blame you. I don't blame you. I'll leave it at that. Brian, who do you have and what do you have going on? Who for do us I today? have and what do I have? Buzz, you live in Ashfield. I do. Right next door is Conway. Yes. And for those who have ever seen it, there's this amazing place tucked in the hill town of Conway uh, that is unbelievable. Large outdoor cages at someone's property where injured raptors, birds of prey, uh, are housed as they recuperate from injuries, from illness, uh, rescued, rehabilitated, and released, hopefully, by our guest today, Tom Riccardi. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Tom is a retired environmental police officer. He is 83 years old, and he has been rescuing, rehabilitating, and releasing raptors since the 1960s. Is that right? Which seems an unbelievable yeah, 1960s. long time. Yeah, 1960s. Were there raptors in the 60s? There were. Oh. Not velociraptors. Oh, not the no. kind that are extinct. So right. start us off with, first, what are raptors? And second, how do you get started in this rehabilitation business? Well, first of all, raptors are you know, birds of prey. Hawks, eagles, owls, and even vultures are considered birds of prey. And I, I have always had a love for the, for the outer doors. And ever since I was a young child... My fascination were raptors, birds, and here I am today, still working with them, and I love it. It keeps me going. And these birds, how, how do you get these birds? They, they, people bring them to you, you find them, they're all hurt or uh, in various stages of, of needing care, is that correct? Correct. Uh, I've rescued birds in all stages of, of injury, and most of the time it's a call from the public, state and local police, Environmental police, fish and wildlife, they'll call when they get a call on a, an injured raptor, and I usually head down and, and try to rescue the bird. Uh, nature of injuries, what, what does that look like? Wings mostly, a lot of wing damage, young birds in the spring, starvation, and we've got uh, some new issues that I'm finding. A lot of birds are with eyesight that is impaired from whatever. They don't know what's causing it. And pesticide, believe it or not, is still a problem. And one thing that's really interesting is uh, rodent poison. Getting a lot of birds, people put rodent poison in their house to get rid of the mice. The mice get outside. The hawk or the owl catches it. Got that poison. And what do you do with a with a herbicide or a pesticide? No, mouseicide, a poison raptor. Yeah, most of the time there's no there's no cure. I'm very fortunate. I've got. Uh, the uh, South Deerfield Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Clay, Dr. Cole, those people help me out tremendously. So when I get a bird that's injured or sick, it goes right down to them, and they analyze it and do what they have to do to stabilize the bird. I pick it up and, and go from there. You know, I, w I would like to squeeze a question, in re a serious question, which is I have a swimming pool. We put in chlorine. It is, it, it, a couple times a week there will be a rodent who drowns in our pool. 
I take the rodent, I put it on a stump, and somebody takes it. I'm sure, I always suspect, it's a bird of prey that takes it usually at night. We have a lot of barred owls around. I think it's probably an owl. Does the chlorine that drowned and killed the, the rodent end up hurting the raptor? No, I, I never get a, a situation like that. You know, it's used in pools for humans, so I doubt if there's any... any uh... I feel a lot better. Okay. <laughs> I love that you're making offerings on the tree stump of dead uh, rodents. Well, for, I either throw raptor. them away or I recycle them by having a bird. It's an easy prey, right? Uh, Tom, tell us about the incident... Uh, what was it two, three weeks ago at St. Cantius Church in, uh, in, North, in Northampton where there was an unusual situation? What happened then? I received a call one morning uh, from a, a lady in town, and she said that there was a, looked like a hawk inside the bell tower of an abandoned church. So I went down and looked the situation over, and it was probably 80, 100 feet up. And uh, I said, he got in there somehow. He'll get out. We'll just leave him alone. And sure enough, three or four days went by, the call came in again. That hawk is still in there. So this woman, I, I wish I knew her name, but she did most of the legwork. She got the fire department involved, and I went down and, and met the fire chief and the uh, deputy and the firefighters. Great guys. I can't say enough about them. They, they bent backwards. But my ride up in that little... Bucket, as it's called. <laughs> I told Eric, the firefighter that was with me, I had white knuckles for about two weeks after that. But uh, we got up into the uh, bell tower, and uh, we were able to cut the screen, and Eric stepped from the bucket and was able to get that bird in a net. And we took it out. And an interesting thing, all the time we were rescuing that bird, the female was right on top of the bell tower watching us. Wow. So, so we it was got, the mate of the that male was the mate. Was trapped. Wow. And inside the bell tower were several pigeons, bones. So mm. he was eating real good. Wow. So when we got him down, I checked him over. He was fine. I just released Fat him. Fat and right. sassy, and I just let him go. Let him go mate on was, the spot there. Yep. Yeah, and wow. mate was right there and uh, ended up uh, tying up the uh, cut in the wire. And uh, the wire was put up there to keep the pigeons out, but they got in there. Uh -huh. So we sutured up the wire and... End of story. And it worked out really well. Unbelievable. Um, when I think of birds of prey, I think of really sort of huge claws and lethal claws. Talons. When, talons, thank you. When you are rescuing a, a hurt bird, you have to be careful yourself. Absolutely. Those talons are like a hypodermic needle. They're full of bacteria from the prey they've been catching. And they get you in the hand or in the arm, you've got a problem because you'll get an infection very quickly. So I use protective gear when I, when I have to rescue a bird, especially a bird like an, an eagle or a red-tailed hawk, the larger birds, the smaller ones you can handle pretty well. So at your property in Conway, you have a series of these enormous cages mm -hmm. that house these birds as they are being rehabilitated. Uh, but you have some birds that, for whatever reason, broken wings, lack of wing, blind, that can't go back to the wild. Is that true? Correct. And what happens to those birds? You know, I always, I always keep the birds. I, you know, I, I, I hate to use, euthanize a bird unless it's uh, something that has to be done. The bird's just incapable of surviving. But I use most of the birds that I keep for education. I go to the schools in different places, bring the birds with me, and work with them, get them used to me, take them into the schools, and get the kids to see something besides the screen of a cell phone. You know, they, they, they enjoy seeing the 
birds up front. So you actually bring the birds in to You said you were just at the Amherst Library, is that right? Uh, East Hampton Library. East Hampton Library. Yeah, yesterday. And what is the goal? What, what are you trying to get across in a program Education. Like you know, I always say uh, when the wi- wildlife is the last thing to be considered, when we put up cell phone towers, when we put up these solar panels, you know, I always thought there would be some land in this country that would not be buildable. It would always be wild. Not today. Solar panels, you could put them anywhere. And we're finding now that waterfowl hit those solar panels, mistaking them for a body of water. Because the, of the reflection? The reflection, the exactly. Oh so I try God. to instill in, in people that wildlife has a value. Can you imagine a world without a, without a bird in it? Really, when you think about it, or a deer, or something like that. And I always say, when things happen to wildlife, well, who's next? We are. You know, it's, it reflects on how we treat the environment. I know you don't name any of the birds Never. that you pick up. Why? I just think it gives the public a sense that they're my pets, kind of a Walt Disney-type scenario. I don't want to bring that to a child. I want them to see this wild bird. And I always explain, if this hawk, eagle, or owl that I'm holding was going to be released to the wild, he would not be here at your school or library because I keep him totally wild, veterinary care, feeding, and that is it until he's ready to be released. Let's talk about the feeding for a minute. You have, what, 60 birds now at your facility? About 60. And they eat every day? Every day. Who feeds them and what do they eat? <laughs> uh, I buy uh, mammal. They have to have a mammal diet. What's interesting, birds of prey regurgitate a pellet, which means when they swallow a mouse or a parts of a bird, feathers, fur, and bone end up in a pellet in their stomach. Next morning, they open them out, they regurgitate a pellet. And that pellet not only gets rid of the food the bird cannot digest, it keeps the digestive tract clean. So if I fed the birds hamburger and chicken meat, they wouldn't survive very long. They get sick pretty easily. So I have to buy a lot of rats, mice, quail. You know, it's interesting. The UPS man pulls up my driver (laughs) as well. He always says, Tom, I love coming here because I never know what I'm going to be delivering. <laughs> so are they alive or dead? No, they're all, I buy them all frozen. Uh-huh. You know, because the pet trade today, when I was a kid, you went into a pet store with dogs and cats and canaries. Today it's iguanas, boa constrictors, lizards, and there's a market now for mice and things like that. So I buy them from the dealers that sell to pet stores and zoos. And this is morning and night feeding? In the summertime, usually once a day, winter twice a day, depending on the size of the bird. Small birds, twice a day. Larger birds can go one, once a day. And that person feeding them is you? Me. And that's seven days a week? Seven 365 days. days? Yes. A year, no vacations? Is, does anyone else know Very how hardly. to do this? I, my son helps me once in a while, but that's about it. Uh-huh. You know, like my children, I have to make sure the person taking care of them is responsible. Wow. Uh, we're talking with Tom Riccardi. Tom Riccardi uh, lives in Conway. He's a retired environmental police officer. He's for, oh, God, 16 years now uh, been rescuing raptors, birds of prey from all over western Massachusetts, rehabilitating them and releasing them back into the wild. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will introduce our special guest, which is sitting in this little wooden box right next to Tom, so stay with us.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Friday, July 15th is the first day in office for the new president and vice president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. President Max Page and Vice President Deb McCarthy will be our guests, so will State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. All this beginning Friday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. In a couple of hours or less, you can be at the beach, toes in the sand, bouncing in the waves, which means fresh just off the boat seafood is only a couple of hours away or minutes away at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where the seafood is delivered direct from the fishing boats. Cod, salmon, scallops, no warehousing. It goes from the dock to the kitchen door. Try Paul and Elizabeth's fish and chips with that lighter than air tempura batter. Try the scallops broiled with garlic butter and fresh herbs. There's no beach at Paul and Elizabeth's, but the seafood? This Monday at the Shea, The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. Zach Sherwin, from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Epic Rap Battles of History, bringing his incredible wordplay to a live crossword puzzle on stage at the Shea. A panel of guest comedians will solve this actual crossword puzzle while Zach Sherwin takes us down a rabbit hole of comedy, music, trivia, and wordplay. No crossword expertise needed. The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. With special guest problem solvers, Smith College's Dr. Jennifer Malkowski, the founder of Smith's Video Game Research Lab. Comedy as a Weapon comedian, Kim DeShields, and me, Monty Belmonte. The Crossword Show with Zach Sherwin. Monday night, 7 o'clock, Shea Theater, Turner's Falls. News, Information, and the Arts. I grew up in West County, but I didn't know there were places like Nelquit until I realized that my mom needed some help. My dad was always controlling and kind of jealous. But after I left for college, it was just the two of them, and it seemed like it was just getting worse. My mom wasn't going out as much, and he would check her cell phone all the time to see who she was calling. Then he started threatening her. I talked to a friend who lives in the area, and she told me about Nelquit. I called the hotline because I was worried about her staying in the house that night. They understood why I was so worried, and they were able to help her to get to my grandma's house in Boston. Nelquit, New England Learning Center for Women in Transition, offering 24-hour crisis line support, walk-in appointments, counseling, safe plan, legal services, and supportive supervised children's visitation. If you or someone you know needs Nelquit, please reach out to them. They'll be there. 479 Main Street, Greenfield, nelquit.org, N-E-L-C-W-I-T.org or call 772-0871. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 Good WHMP. afternoon. Welcome back. We're talking with Tom Riccardi. Tom is a retired environmental police officer and since the 1960s has set up a remarkable program in Conway where he rehabilitates and hopefully releases raptors, birds of prey, hawks and owls and vultures and eagles uh, into the wild. And he brought with us today a very special guest in a very small box, 
but a bird that some of you may know. Now, this is radio, Tom. Right. So we're going to have to do our best to describe what it is. What do you got in the box? He's taking it out. He's reaching in. And he's bringing out, oh, my goodness. That is a beautiful bird. It's so beautiful. It's a kestrel. And the reason I brought the, well, let me describe this little guy. He's about the size of a robin. He's beautifully mocked. You can see, I always tell the kids, when you look at a falcon, and the kestrel is a falcon, you'll notice the black, we call it a molar stripe under the eye. And if you think about it, any bird, animal, or fish that flies, swims, or runs real fast, all have that black line under the eye. It's to protect the eye from the bright rays of the sun. Baseball players, football players do the same thing. And when you look at the kestrel, this guy, he's got kind of a beautiful bluish-gray color to the wing. It's a male. If it was a female, it would have brown wings. Now, this bird is, has the ability to stop in midair like a helicopter, and he will hover. And you'll see these birds, some people call them a wind hover. And they'll sit there in the sky, 100 feet off the ground, hovering. When they spot a mouse or a grasshopper, one of their favorite meals, they'll drop right down and capture it. Now, when I was a kid, they called this kestrel a sparrow hawk. Oh, that's what that is. Yep, sparrow hawk. So he's got that curved beak, which is typical of all raptors, right? right? Very sharp talons. Mm -hmm. um, great eyesight. Is Excellent that eyesight. Tell us about eyesight of raptors. Eyesight. Uh, they always say a kestrel would spot a mouse in the grass a couple hundred yards away. Well, we wouldn't even see the grass probably. Uh, they just have exceptional eyesight, just like owls have exceptional eyesight day and night. You can Ooh. hear he's chirping a little. Oh, there's a little chirp. He knows it's radio. Yeah, he knows it's radio. And when I think of falcons, I think of incredible speed. Incredible speed. Is that right? Yep. Long pointed wings. He's a, he's a small spe uh, specimen. Uh, the peregrine would be the largest. The peregrine would be the fastest living creature on planet Earth. Right. They fly so fast. They're incredible. Over but 200 this, miles an hour. Over 200 miles an yeah, hour. But this guy is a falcon, and he's pretty fast also. But Brian, the reason I brought the kestrel in, he's in trouble. He's in trouble because of habitat loss. This guy needs open meadows and farmland, which are disappearing. And the kestrel is really being studied by state fish and wildlife right now. And a lot of people will notice in their travels, they'll see kestrel boxes set up in the, in the fields and along the highways to try to encourage the spirit to nest. They are cavity nesters. So the little guy's in trouble because of habitat loss. Well, one of the wonderful things we have in the Valley here is a remarkable ethic of land conservation and protection. Absolutely. And the Kestrel Trust, based in uh, Amherst, is named after this That's little right. guy. There you go. And whose mission is to try to protect that open space, that habitat for birds of prey and all sorts of other animals as well. Um, I wish our listeners could be viewers. We have people standing at the window here gawking in and staring, staring <laughs> at the bird. Tom, before we leave, I want to make sure to talk about a remarkable thing that you did, which is to captively breed bald eagles. Yeah. And you were the about the first to do that. People said, it can't be done, can't do this in captivity. But you did. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, back in the 70s when a bald eagle was on the endangered species list, the national bird of this country, I had several at the facility that were permanently injured. And pesticide did a number on the bald eagle. They disappeared. 
So I decided to try to put the birds together and pair them up. But every so-called expert in the field of captive breeding told me, you're wasting your time. It's not going to happen. So in 1970, I placed the birds. I had two males, excuse me, two females, one male. I put it together, and when I decided which female was the most uh, obvious to breed, I separated the other female. And sure enough, 1971, they built a nest. They produced an egg, which I removed from the nest because I had federal license to do this work, and she laid another egg. I took that second egg, placed it in an incubator, artificially hatched it, and raised that chick by hand. And I had two young eagles that first year. The only problem is how do I get them back to the wild? I had First of all, I used a puppet to raise one of the birds who so wouldn't imprint or get used to me. A puppet in the shape of an eagle head? Shape, shape of an eagle, wow. exactly. And the only nest we could find was up in Lake Umbagog in northern New Hampshire. When I got, once I got authorization to drive to New Hampshire with my little eagle, we went up, met one of the game ones, climber went up, checked the nest, one young, about two weeks old, the same as the one I had. We banded my chick, put it in the nest, fostered it, and that bird fledged and went off. And uh, so the project has been real successful over the years. I've had a lot of eagles born. And in fact, we've taken the bald eagle off the endangered off species list. Off the endangered list. species list. Thanks to the, some of the work that you've done. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Do you captively breed other birds? Yeah, I've bred the kestrel, uh, the peregrine falcon, uh, several species of owls. Uh, which I've done over the years. But my main focus was the bald eagle and the kestrel. Wow. Tom, none of this work is cheap. you got to buy an incredible amount of food. Um, boy, just putting gas in your car to go and rescue birds now costs money. If people are interested in uh, helping to keep your facility up and running, how can they uh, contribute? Yeah, you know, I accept any donations I can, I can get. and It, it could be sent to uh, Mass Bird of Prey, Box 26, Conway, Mass., 01341. So box 26 in Conway. Uh, when Before we started, I said, uh, Tom, well, how can people email you? And Tom says, he doesn't do email. He's, a, he's an old bird, uh, an active bird, <laughs> That's uh, right. and an email list bird. So uh, any contributions can be really, really helpful. Mass Bird of Prey, box 26, you said? Right. In, in Conway. Conway. Yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, the people in the Valley have been really great with me. Some of the local lumber yards donated lumber to me when I was re redoing cages. Just a lot of incredible people. Tom, thank you so much. And, and uh, Kestrel, thank you so much. Tom is still holding the bird right on his <laughs> wrist there. Um, Tom Riccardi, wildlife bird of prey, raptor, uh, raptor rescuer, rehabilitator, and releaser. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for and Thank me you for all you do. Thank you. Join us tomorrow for the afternoon buzz at 4 o'clock. This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield.
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Abortion protections in Massachusetts are being fortified after the Senate on Wednesday unanimously passed legislation that would shield providers and patients from adverse actions. The legislation would apply both to residents in the Commonwealth as well as for those coming here from out of state. Those actions include investigations and lawsuits. Providers also will not be disciplined or risk losing professional credentials when delivering services that would have been lawful and consistent with good medical practice if they occurred entirely in the Commonwealth, according to the bill. The bill now heads to Governor Charlie Baker's desk. Some upheaval in Plainfield after a suspended sergeant was not reappointed to the police department. That leaves Police Chief Justin Litchfield as the sole officer for the town. The Gazette reports that Sergeant Matthew Mietzka was suspended with pay on June 7th following a human resources investigation. The chief is remaining tight-lipped on why that decision was made, saying only that town council advised him not to comment. According to the Gazette, a complaint was lodged by Miazga's wife, saying the chief made advances toward her while her husband was away at training. And the 100-year-old Helen E. James School building in Williamsburg is no longer standing. The building was demolished yesterday. In 2021, the town voted to demolish the school and construct a new public safety complex on the grounds. The school was built in 1914 and named after the 19th century philanthropist. It served as a public high school until 1971 and an elementary school until 2014. An isolated shower is possible this afternoon, otherwise partly sunny. Temperatures in the low to mid-80s. Clearing tonight with lows in the 60s, mostly sunny on Friday with highs in the 80s. I'm Nick Oresco on 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hi, I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op Mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th. Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. RiverValley.com. Co-op. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. 
So every once in a while, I surprise myself with uh, how idiotic I can really be. And so well, tomorrow, I am going on a vacation I'm looking very much forward to with our, we're going to be down in the Outer Banks, on the beach, house on the beach with my wife, our children, our grandchildren, a little baby of one year, two months old, and a sophomore a junior at Tulane University. We're going to have a lot of fun. And I left my, my wife said, do you have to go into the studio today? I said, I want to go into the studio today. Say goodbye to everybody. for Actually, just weeks. to see me, right, Buzz? Just to see Bruce. Thank you. Just to see Bruce Nimzik. And um, I came in. We just went through a great segment with a guy who, uh, Tom Riccardi, who uh, rehabilitates raptors. And um, I was fascinated. And at the end of that, you may have heard me say, thank you so much for joining us. Join us tomorrow on the Afternoon Buzz. And as soon as we went to break, somebody said, the show's not over. So there you go, Bruce. Here we, here we are. I am so glad you're here, and I'm and, so glad your guest is with us. Oh, we're so lucky to have Eugene with us. Two, two things. What happened this week is I had two other guests lined up, and fortunately for them and all the musicians, they've got gigs. And I know Eugene's really busy, so we'll get right into it. I was fortunate enough to uh, be at a wedding on Saturday when Eugene was also a guest, and we got talking about this. Now, we're lucky Eugene Uman. Great, great keyboard player, uh, composer, heart and soul of the Vermont Jazz Center. Uh, thank you for, call, for calling in, Eugene. Oh, thank you very much for that, Bruce. I'm very happy to be with you, and uh, I want to say hi to your readers, and or your readers, to your <laughs> listeners. Right. Are you to, going uh, on vacation too, Eugene? <laughs> no, he's got a gig I after this. No, I'm getting ready for uh, uh, our big summer jazz workshop, but I just wanted to let people know that um, we thank you. Uh, you know, the, the Jazz Center it really depends on all the people from the Northampton area. There's such a wonderful group of jazz lovers from your area, and, and you've all been so generous with us, so I just wanted to thank you on the air. Oh, we, 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 ought, we ought to actually get a small bus and come up to Brattleboro from time to time, because you, you've, put on be such, you've put on such great shows up there. Well, the center is a, it, it is a jewel. Oh, it is. It, you, you know, like I said to you the other day, the first time I went, and we pull up, and it's this old warehouse, and you go, a well, little, right. su little suspect, and then you go inside, and it's magic. It's just magical. It's, it's a great, great venue to see to, to listen to music. And and it, I, I was looking at your bi biography and the and the who's who of who you've played with and who's been at the center. And wow! So well, thank you. Sure. Now yeah, we, we've been doing it a while too. You've and, been there since ninety uh, seven. You know what I like to tell people is that you could go hear a group at uh, like Dizzy's. Club Coca-Cola at Lincoln Center or that, yeah. you know, the Village Vanguard or the Blue Note. And then they'll be playing the next weekend at the Vermont Jazz Center. And that yeah. really happens a lot. And, that's, and they're so approachable there, there, too. I mean, I've, I've been there to yeah. shows, and the guys that play after the show, they hang around, and you get to talk to these, you know, these people that I just worship because they're great, they're great musicians, and that's my thing to listen to them. We, we call those human rights. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so, so we should probably start with young Eugene uh, okay. going into the keyboard. As a, as a young guy, you started a, you know playing some kind of music, and where'd you go? Sure, sure. So uh, I was uh, I'm from the New York area, and uh, I was uh, started playing piano at age six. You know, I took lessons, wow. and my family was very encouraging. 
uh, about me playing music. I was fortunate to have a talent. I remember I started at the same time as my dad, and he was jealous of me because I was I just surged right ahead, and he was stuck on playing five note scales. Yeah, oh, uh, but. I was very fortunate uh, that uh, I had parents who really encouraged me to get involved with the music, uh-huh. and that when I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher named Mr. Nermy who taught me how to play the blues. And once once I learned about improvising, it was all over, because yeah. that, to me, is the essence of the kind of music that I love and that I want to do. And so I continued to focus on on improvisational music ever since you know fourth grade believe it or not although wow. i did of course continue with my classical lessons to get my reading chops up and and uh so i i did continue through high school playing music i had some great bands when i was in high school and then uh when i was in college i went to school for uh forest forest management forest science at uh the university of new hampshire and i played in the jazz bands there and then I moved to central Vermont, where I uh, I worked as a forestry consultant for 10 years and had a band, but I also played with the Vermont Jazz Ensemble, and I was pretty close to Burlington and Montpelier, so I was playing you know, pretty much every weekend. And then uh, at age 30 or 27 or so, I met this guy who was became my mentor, Howard Brofsky, who oh. was the director of the jazz studies program at Queens College, and he invited me there to to study to go for my master's. And after wrapping some things up at home in, in East Bethel, there where I was living and running my business, I decided to do that and take him up on it. And I went to New York City, and I just immersed myself in music then. And um, then you know, I never looked back. I've been playing music seriously ever, you know, my whole life. But but like, I really took it on a hundred percent at that age, and I've been teaching and performing ever since. You know, we, we've since been fortunate that. enough to see you perform. You also you missed one thing. You won the UB Blake uh, scholarship, and so the, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, that I mean, was what one of the reasons why I could afford was. to go to school. Yeah, uh, I didn't get to meet UB Blake really. Oh, that's too oh, no, but but I did do some research into him, and I had to, you know, uh, I was I was very honored to be the recipient of the UB Blake Scholarship at Queens College, and that paid for most of my tuition, actually. Oh, that's great. You, Eugene yeah. Newman, I, I can't help but ask you, all that environmental science background that you had, yeah. how does that inform your music in general and your improv in particular? Oh, that's an interesting question. Whoa. Mm. Well, I think that that once you get past understanding uh, about music theory and you've got the the knowledge inside of you, then you're informed by your upbringing, the people who you care for and who care for you, and also the the natural environment in which you live in. So that comes through when you improvise, and and your sensitivity to the other musicians who are around you. And I feel very uh, much that by being in nature a lot, and I still am here in Vermont. I, I live in a beautiful place, and I, I have a big garden. And I, I feel that being connected to nature makes makes me more sensitive to the way that there, the music wants to go. And so I feel that uh, if I'm in a trio, for example, that that there's a real sense of what the bass player and the drummer are doing, and me. It's like we're really connected, and we're all listening. And that that comes 
from having been aware of the natural world. Now, you, uh, you've got so much going on now. I know you do the Eugene Human uh, Convergence Project. Right. right? Now, yeah. That's, yep. Is there a fundraising aspect involved with that, or uh, can you tell us about that? And Maybe we can encourage people to help out. Well, I appreciate that. Um, the bands that I'm involved with do not have fundraising components, but the Vermont Jazz Center certainly does. You know, I run a nonprofit, and that's mm-hmm. my big thing. The Vermont Jazz Center has been uh, going since 1975. Of course, Attila Zoller was the founder of the Vermont Jazz Center. And my wife, Elsa Borrero, and I came in in 97 after moving up from South America. We After New York, I went to South America and taught and played there. She's from Colombia, and, and our kids were born there. And then we came up because I wanted to live back in Vermont and to be part of that nature that Buzz was talking about. And so... Um, I think that that the, the finance, the, the whole way of running a nonprofit, uh, is connected again with listening and being aware of what other people's needs are, and and they're supporting you. There's this sense of a circle happening, and we go around in that circle, and we're all helping each other. So the Vermont Jazz Center has been very fortunate. You know, I went from out. You know, when when Attila gave me the reins to run the Vermont Jazz Center. He actually owed money. <clears throat> and so from there, there was no budget whatsoever, and I had to kind of generate my own salary. And my wife and I became, you know, we were the the our organization with people staying in our house. We would cook for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very basic in the beginning. Uh, we had no money. And then right now, uh, we're very fortunate. Our budget is uh, up around $400,000 a oh, year. That's, that's fantastic. And and we have uh, an archive of the work that I've been doing there for the last 25 years. This is my 25th year being here. Uh, th- that we've accumulated, I've been really focused. I knew that this was going to be a legacy when I started. And so there have been world-class artists coming through. And in the beginning, I couldn't afford to pay a camera person. So I was fortunate that I had friends who would come in and videotape it for free. And now we have a world-class videographer, Michael Hanish, and world-class sound people doing the work. So it's like you go into there and you see the performances. Our live streams are like watching yeah, a TV studio production. You know, you know, you, you show, you're show. Your shows are usually, uh, when you walk in, there's a sliding scale, which is just wonderful that you can allow people to come in and almost pay what they can afford, which is great. To make music accessible to people. It it becomes accessible to all kinds of people. And it's usually, you know, like if you can throw 20 bucks in, that's great. And it's super that uh, you're able to do that. Well, thank you for noticing that. Yeah, that's my belief is that music uh, shouldn't be an elitist uh, art. And and it's not at, at here at the Jazz Center and in most of the nonprofits that I am aware of here in Vermont and and in um, in Massachusetts as well. Uh, what we do is we subsidize our ticket price by patrons. So we get people who uh, are sponsors of each concert and pay for as much of the uh, the artist fee as possible. And so by doing that, we're able to charge $20. And if people want to pay more, they can. But we figure that the price per seat, if we're going to have, like, average 150 people there, is going to be between 40 and $50. That's the value of each seat mm. that we have. And so we ask that people who do come pay 
you know, the 40 or $50. But, but we don't say that. We just say, I mean, we do. We have that in the small print. <laughs> People can pay $20 Read the small as print. our general, our general right. fee. And if they want to kick in a little bit more, then they know. They we know treat it as story. a suggestion, which is perfect. We're going to take a break for about three minutes. We're talking to Eugene Newman. How do people donate money if they wish to? They, to the yes, Vermont thank Jazz. you for asking. Uh, go right to our website, www.vt, it's in the state of Vermont, vtjazz.org, www.vtjazz.org, and there's a donate button right on our website. And it is an organization that's well worth supporting. We're going to be back with Bruce Nimzik with Take 5 and his guest today, Eugene. Be right All right, thank you very much. We'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts' way of saying we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, we believe in a hand up, not a handout. Habitat's mission to provide home ownership opportunities to low-income families is unique as it requires partner families to work alongside the many volunteers that are reaching out to help them. Each Habitat partner family provides at least 250 hours of sweat equity or physical labor toward the construction of their own home, other Habitat family homes, and special projects. We believe this shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder joint effort results not only in a better finished house, but that this shared work experience makes for a better community. If you believe everyone should have a decent place to live, that home ownership brings strength and stability to families, and that everyone deserves the opportunity for a better future, we could use your support. We're Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. We build homes, hope, and community in both Franklin and Hampshire counties. Learn more today. Please visit us at pvhabitat.org. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Downtown Sounds? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. If you bought a new car last month, you probably paid too much. Consumers who purchased new cars in June paid an average of $48,000. Kelly Blue Book reports that average price was a record high and another sign that many dealers are continuing to charge over the sticker price. Summer's here, people are traveling again, and scammers are capitalizing on the growing popularity of short-term vacation rentals to post fraudulent listings. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody has seen an increase in complaints and says vacationers should make sure any rental they consider is legitimate. Toyota is recalling 46,000 2022 Tundras and Tundra hybrids. The company says the flange nuts on the axle shaft subassemblies can loosen over time and potentially cause one or both axle shaft subassemblies to separate from the axle housing. 
I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And this is Buzz Eisenberg having a great time because Bruce Nimzik for his Take 5 segment has brought in Eugene uh, Uman, and I just am loving this conversation. This is a lot of fun, yeah. So, Eugene, let's, let's talk about what you're up to these days with the Convergence Project and some of your other... Uh, sure, sure, great. Groups. Well, the Convergence Project is the band that I put together that uh, plays my original music, and I've got a couple albums with the, the mm-hmm. Convergence Project. And um, I use a, a rhythm. I originally used a rhythm section from the New York area, which you know who I met when I was down, living down there and going to graduate school. Satoshi and Stomo Takaishi, really mm-hmm. amazing bass player and, and uh, drummer. And fortunately, up here, I've got a terrific rhythm section with John Fisher on drums and David Peachy on bass. Yeah, that's not and bad. And then we yeah. add a couple of horns to that. I got a trombone player. You probably know Jeff Galindo. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have Wanda Houston on vocals. I've got a few vocal tunes and Mike Zoldis on saxophone. Killing band. And yeah, that we is, do yes. all my original music. Um, but I, do, I, I just have to interrupt you, Eugene. I don't know whether listeners know. They probably don't. You have composed over 120 songs. That's right. Well over that, actually, now. You lose track. uh, I love composing. To me, I feel like composing is improvising on slow motion. (laughs) And, and in fact, uh, I was recognized during the pandemic by the Juno Orchestra, and they asked me to write a, uh, a piece for their string orchestra, it was a con- and, and I did, and, and it was just phenomenal to hear my music being played by a string orchestra, wow. a 20-minute piece that and I... And you actually write some of this stuff it. down, huh? You don't just oh, totally... Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, it, it, that's an illusion that jazz is, is a music that is done completely spontaneously. You know, jazz is a music that you have to study for. You have to know you the know, rules. There's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah, there are a lot of rules, yeah. Right. Um, anyway, getting back to the groups that I play with, uh, it's that's my main thing is the Convergence Project, but also I play with some phenomenal trios, including David Peachy and John Fisher, but I also have another trio called the Ambassadors of Light with Claire Arenas and James McDonald. And then I have another trio that I play with every two weeks in Keene, New Hampshire, uh, and it's with George Robinson on drums and Steve Cady on bass. Wow. And and then I play a lot with, you know, diff, different other groups. I've been playing with Julian Gerson, who's a phenomenal percussionist for many years. In fact, we have a gig coming up on the 22nd of July that's going to be at the Vermont Jazz Center. Julian Gerson is a wonderful composer and percussionist, and, and he's putting together this amazing project where he's... Uh, He's combining his music, which is world music, with the music of um, Puerto Rico. And there's a group that does uh, Puerto Rican dance and folkloric percussion. And, and so he's calling it Bomba Jazz, well, Bomba Jazziando. So he wrote this whole new repertoire for that. And then some other stuff that, that we've been playing that's very complicated. Some of it, a lot of it in odd meters and just love playing that kind of thing and uh, i mean and i'm even playing in a blues band this weekend i I do whatever i can if the quality is good i've seen you you sit down with a lot of people yeah yeah bruce and eugene bruce and i uh, for years now we both we love jazz and we're completely untalented and (laughs) (laughs) so we sit there and our jaws are open as we watch 
how musicians communicate with each other who don't really know each other and haven't played before. How do you play with so many different people, so many different styles, and you still manage to have this language that we don't understand, but we love, you all, we love but you all seem to understand each other? Huh. Well, that, that's another good question, Buzz. And I think that it's that first we have to have a good foundation. You know, you have to have that strong foundation. And, and fortunately, uh, all the people that I play with are, are you know, they've, They've studied their music. They they know their chords. They know their scales. They've got ear training stuff that they've been working on. But also, once they get to that level, then then it's the love of the music that keeps them going. And 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 by by wanting to get together with other people and play in these kinds of open open ended playing situations, you've got to be all about the ears and the connection if it's going to be good. So if you're going to be playing at our level, you've got to be at this place where you're open and willing to listen to other people's ideas rather than just taking control of it. And, yeah, and we, I'm very we, fortunate that all these people are willing to listen yeah. and willing to, to like study this repertoire and then riff off of it but playing off if of it. If they're the really show. willing to listen, they should run for Congress. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, we lay people I, all the time when a trio or a quartet's playing and they're just going balls to the walls crazy and bang, you all end on the same exact note, and we sit there with our jaws open and going, "How did they do? That? How did they do that?" And I know, I, I know, there's, you know, yeah, they know how to do. You that. You guys are counting in your head, and you know, you got the, you and know, they're also the just looking at each other, yeah. it's like their eyes yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah, and there's visual cues, there's yeah. the audio cues, and it's so much fun for us. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, well, there's a form. Like you were playing uh, "Sunny Side of the Street" when you know we came in, mm -hmm. and and that's such a great tune, and and it's just something that we all recognize as AABA -A -A construction, whereas yeah. there's that the, we understand that there's a form, and when we come to the B section, we all know, boom, we're going to come in on that together, and it's going to make an impact because it's a change from the A section. So you've got to also, after having played it for so many years, you kind of know where you want to emphasize the changes because the harmony of the songs calls for it oh yeah yeah that's just and then we all do it at the same time it's like oh isn't that cool that works <laughs> yeah there, i've noticed like a lot ESP. of smi there's a lot of smiles between musicians every now and again you look at each other and go ah that was good that was good yeah now over the years you've played with some of the greats you you've played with you know the who's who uh i i was uh the last time i saw sheila jordan she was oh, yeah. playing with chuck lampson i'm sure you know chuck and i got him later and i said he was he was like waiting to solo, and Sheila just kept on going and going and going. Yeah. And I said, "You just show her so much respect because she was friends with Charlie Parker." And I, yeah. I you know, and he said, "Yeah, you got to back off when it's somebody who knew Charlie Parker." You know, so <laughs> isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm very fortunate that I get to play with Sheila every summer at the Summer Jazz Workshop and also be playing with her this uh, September 11th at Jimmy's, this new beautiful club in Portsmouth that I'll be playing with oh. Sheila Jordan. What an honor. Up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but some of the people who I've played with include like Jerry Berganzi and Donald Byrd and Jimmy Heath. Mm. Yeah, some real world-class people, and, and I don't consider myself in that camp, but I do feel like it has been an honor to play with them. And uh, But also the musicians with whom you know we play here in the Pioneer Valley and, and in Vermont, Vermont and New Hampshire, uh, there's some real strong players here as well. And I'm sure but like... I, yeah. 
what we've watched here with the with the Northampton trio, watching young yeah, guys just grow and grow trio. and grow. I mean, well, listen, watching. I am so sorry we're out of time, Bruce. Thank what? you so much. Yeah, we are, yeah, but that's um, it. <laughs> well, listen, folks, grab your coat, grab your hat, <laughs> leave your worries <laughs> on the doors, and go up to the G. Just direct your feet. <laughs> To the Vermont Jazz, Jazz Center, Center, Cotton yeah, Mill right. Hill, yeah. side of the street in Brattleboro. Eugene, yeah. thank you so much. Bruce, you've done it uh, again. Hey, thanks, Eugene. Thank- All right, it was great. appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for letting me toot our horn. Oh, <laughs> man, and go listen to Eugene toot his horn. Got to see it All live. Right. Everybody, okay. thank you so much for joining us okay. today. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Join you then. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Gordon Oliver here. I am privileged, along with my co-pilot Tina Marie, to gather and share a community of people, organizations, and experts who are making a difference in improving and positively impacting the financial lives of others. Financial peace of mind is a marathon, not a sprint, so we're cutting through the clutter to help you attain or continue to attain financial freedom. In today's workforce, the perks of the job has taken on new meaning. Learn about Perk Plans, a fast and efficient way to get discounts on a variety of products and services, this Saturday at 9.30 a.m. on WHMP. Caring for someone with cancer is hard. You're so busy taking care of someone else, you have no idea how you feel. There's so much you can't say. You run on adrenaline. You're worried you're going to burn out. Cancer Connection offers support groups just for care. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.